0: Hello, I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. And I'm Rico Galliano. Welcome to the Dinner Party Download and to our occasional series, Dinner for One. Mm-hmm. These are long-form, one-on-one conversations with a great guest we figure you would like to spend a little extra time with. Isn't that Basically,
1: nice? it's a podcast-only episode where we get to pretend we're Terry Gross. Yes,
0: it's fun. I even
1: put on a pair of fake glasses and conduct my interviews in the dark.
0: Really? She conducts her interviews in the dark?
1: Is that what they Well, it's like near dark. There's a little lamp.
0: It's anyway, we'll do it another episode about Terry. This episode, Mm -hmm. we're going to talk to the actor Sterling K. Brown, who won his first Emmy for portraying Christopher Darden in The People vs. O.J. Simpson, American Crime Story. And he won his second Emmy just a little over a week ago for his performance as Randall Pearson in the acclaimed NBC drama This Is Us. That is right.
1: Randall is one of three siblings, all born on the same day. Mm -hmm. And as the show begins, he is a successful lawyer in his mid-30s, married with a family, and curious to know who his biological father is. His adoptive father, Jack, has passed away.
0: Yes. By the way, the new season of This Is Us begins
1: tonight. So you could listen to this while watching that.
0: It'll be like a... You should uh, put
1: the sound down and listen to this.
0: It'll be like a weird commentary track. Mm -hmm. Um, We should note Sterling also appears in an upcoming biopic about Thurgood Marshall. It is called, crazily enough, Marshall. Brendan taped this interview before Sterling won his recent Emmy, and the discussion started like this.
1: Off the bat, I want to say, forgive me if I I sound a little lethargic, because to uh, prep for our conversation, I caught up on several episodes of This Is Us last night. Did you, really? And I'm pretty emotionally drained, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) And and this isn't an uncommon response. If you go through Twitter, you know, people often talk about how it's a bit of a tearjerker. How do you feel about being part of something that induces emotional scenes across the country, week in, week out?
2: I like being a part of something that makes people feel. Like, I feel Mm. we spend so much time trying to bottle up our feelings to maintain a certain level of composure or the facade of composure instead of allowing Mm. ourselves to experience life in the fullest way possible. I feel like the show is able to take you out of that, you know, desire or need to put up any sort of false front and just feel. And I think it's therapeutic. I think it's sort of healing. It allows you to release a lot of stuff that you may have been holding on to and hopefully successfully move forward. But, mm. Yeah,
1: it, Is it the same for you as an actor having to kind of execute these scenes? It seems like it could be taxing in a way that maybe pure comedy or, or something lighter wouldn't
2: be um you know i find it therapeutic i i enjoy mm-hmm. a good cry i mean i've been known to uh <laughs> to weep uncontrollably with my child at inside out or pete's dragon so <laughs> now i can take that remarkable skill and use it for something that people will um will say i did a good job for
1: <laughs> that's right <laughs> Sometimes do you watch Inside Out to get worked up for a touching moment <laughs> totally, in trailer? Totally, totally do. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. Well, let's talk about this character you play. You play Randall. Yes. Uh, who uh, is 36 mm-hmm. uh, this first season, and he was adopted and raised by a white family. Yeah. Uh, you said that you like playing him partially because he's, quote, black on purpose. Yeah. What, what did you mean by that?
2: What I mean by that is so many people or people of color who happen to be on network television oftentimes wind up playing roles that are all ethnicities submitted. And it Mm -hmm. is a wonderful sort of thing because it allows for people of color to have roles where they may not have before in terms of Mm -hmm. colorblind casting. But I think the next step um, forward from colorblind casting is actually seeing people for what they are and using all of what they bring to the table to help tell the story of that character. So if you're dealing with an African-American or a Latino or an Asian, like you make reference and address their culture and their experience within this country. And you use that to help tell the story of that person. They're not just Asian by coincidence or black by coincidence. So I I like the idea that we're moving in that direction where people are being fully seen and appreciated for their differences rather than trying to wash them away and have us all become something that is more homogenized.
1: Uh, Only a a black male could have played Randall because that's who who the part was written for. I mentioned that origin story about being adopted and raised by a white family um, as an actor. Uh, how does that affect your portrayal of Randall as an adult, knowing that 's part of his backstory
2: i you know I ask myself these kinds of questions a lot. My wife and I have conversations like there are certain sort of cultural touchstones that you know my wife and I share with one another by virtue of. Being born the same year in St. Louis, Missouri, both African-American having a similar education as well. Mm. And so there's a lot of those things that Randall probably missed out on and had to play catch up with. I have a friend of mine um, from St. Louis who's married to a guy who's black who was raised by a white family on the East Coast. And so I've had Mm. the opportunity to talk to him on occasion about what his experience was like. And it's like, you know, I was constantly trying to figure out what the joke was. Like people would t- make references to these movies that I had never seen or music that I hadn't heard. But, you know, through yeah. time and because I had genuine curiosity, I sought it out. And I feel like Randall's that that person that actively sought out um, his culture. Um, you know, through his exposure, through um, this mentor he had as a child named Yvette and being around her children. And then later on, when you choose somebody like Beth for a wife, you know, oftentimes men choose women that look like their moms or remind them of their moms in some way. And I'm sure Beth and and Rebecca have quite a bit in common. But Randall made the choice to choose this black woman to share his life with. Um, And I think she probably helps him also, you know, educate um, him in those cultural touchstones that he may have missed out on in his youth.
1: Yeah, and, and there's an awareness uh, in, in the episode for which you... Uh, congratulations for being nominated for Emmy. Thanks, man. Uh, yeah, the the episode that you submitted, I believe, was Memphis. Yes. Um, and which is touching on, on in many ways, but I'm just referring to one small moment in it, is at one point, um, Randall, spoiler alert, but people will have seen it by now, uh, is with his biological father, and he's kind of uh, around, he's meeting his cousins. Yes. Another they're like twice and third removed. Yes. It's very, It's a kind of a funny scene. But at one point he he just burst, he burst out and he says something really corny like,
2: Wait, know you, I know you, so that makes you... William's second cousin and your third cousin. Oh, so you get a cousin, <laughs> you get a cousin, everybody gets a cousin! Sorry. I was raised by white people. And he's like, you know what? Sorry,
1: I was raised by white people. Yeah. Uh, And there's almost this this awareness he has as you know, as much as he's kind of learned to kind of inculcate himself with uh, maybe an African American cultural sensibility, that he does come from a different place, and his his instincts are different. He
2: is wherever he is, he's always a bit on the outside. You know, exactly, yeah. he's he's African-American yeah. in an all-white family. And then even when he's amongst a, a, a primarily African-American group, he's still the only one that's been raised by an all-white family. So he's yeah. always just trying to find his place in the group.
1: That's something that maybe you had to teach yourself through discussions and and. and and rehearsing and being an actor, but there are some actually direct parallels with you, it seems. Uh, and Randall, you both have a couple of kids. Yeah. Uh, you you both tragically only knew your fathers all, all too briefly. It seems your your father passed away when you were younger. This is true. Uh, this show is so much about family. I'm I'm wondering what you maybe you carry from your father uh, to kind of this place in your life to this to this sort of work, which is very much about fathers. Yeah.
2: No stories about fathers and sons always have a particular resonance for me in my life because I was 10 years old when my dad passed away. Um, and so the opportunity to sort of explore this relationship with William and Randall um, was intoxicating because the question that I asked myself entering into it, I said, you know, if, if my dad were around or someone who I knew could possibly replace my dad or replace that father figure in my life, I would do everything that I could to pursue that relationship. Um, And so now Randall is given that opportunity. You know, now there's this biological father that he's finally found. And there's so many what ifs that if you don't actively pursue it, they'll just remain what ifs. And then what ifs usually lead to regret. And so he had to, even though he thought when he first met William that he just wanted to chastise him and show him how much he had made of his life, you know, in spite of his absence, what he was really longing for was that sense of connection. Um, You know, you don't go a hundred miles away from your home and wind up bringing somebody home (laughs) to stay with your family (laughs) unless there's something on the inside of you that really is really longing for something that's missing. You can be sure this life of mine is punishment enough for the things I've done. If you think I'm going to forgive you... I don't. You you were right. I did just want to say screw you and storm out of here. Go ahead. Screw you. Yeah. (laughs) You want to meet your grandchildren? I'll get my coat. And that,
1: I, I believe that actually is happens in the pilot, if I'm remembering. Yes. Um, and that's a, I mean, a deft bit of acting to be able to toggle from, yeah, this anger you've that, uh, that your character Randall feels for this man who abandoned him, who he tracked down. And then just also very quickly finding himself... Um, obeying this man and, yeah. and wanting to not spend as much time with him. I mean, there, there's it's, sometimes there's only, there's almost, there's laughing that ensues because it seems so incongruous. Thanks, so, dude. I um, appreciate
2: that. Yeah, that must have been a taxing day on set. But taxing but good I mean you you as an actor live for those moments that sort of demand that you stretch you know yeah. and and sort of play highs and lows almost simultaneously or butt it right against one another um, so yeah. to go from moments of just like anger yeah. and bile to acceptance and grace like it's 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 fun it's a fun challenge yeah. to be asked to to take on
1: and I just one more note on uh, about that is, so again the the episode um, you, uh, that submitted for the Emmy was Memphis which is this really really powerful episode where he brings his biological father back to his father's home yeah. in Memphis and you know maybe this is a bunch of mumbo jumbo but do you think that some of the resonance of like your performance some of the power from that comes from that kind of um, connection you have with your father or that particular interest you have in that, that question about fathers and sons
2: absolutely um, yeah. I, I found like the relationship with William was probably my primary way into entering to Randall. Um, so getting to say goodbye to him in that episode, uh, was something that I wasn't allowed to do when I was a kid because I was 10 mm-hmm. years old and I wasn't allowed to go to the hospital when my father passed away. And so to be there with him, um, to help him, uh, ease his way into that transition, into the next phase of being, if you will, was something that, you know, I I got the chance to say goodbye to William in a way mm-hmm. in which Sterling would have liked to say goodbye to his dad. So it was, I was happy to have that moment.
1: Yeah, it's a powerful piece of writing and, and acting. Um, so we've been focusing primarily on This Is Us. Your career is gone... <laughs> was was thriving before this show, and it, and it has lots of lots of going on. And you know, if you hop on Twitter right now, people are loving your appearance in Insecure. You've also got the film Marshall, which is coming out soon, which refers to Thurgood Marshall. Correct. And a lot of people got to know you in another story that revolved around the courtroom, The People vs. O.J. Simpson. Heard of that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, this is an interesting time for, I mean, it's always an interesting time, but stories about criminal justice right now seem to have a particular poignancy or people are maybe starting to pay the right amount of attention to them. Uh, is is there a common thread in these two stories for you, the, the performance in Marshall and O.J.? I know they're just courtroom dramas, but there's also a sociological angle on that, which seems to be similar.
2: Well, absolutely. I mean, the, the history of sort of the African-American male and how they've been treated systemically by the criminal justice system is sort of at the forefront. Of both of those stories. And it's the reason why Black America rejoiced when O.J. Simpson was acquitted of murder of Ron and Nicole. And mm-hmm. um, it's the reason why the NAACP had Thurgood Marshall going around the country looking to defend African-Americans that it, they felt were not getting the defense that they deserved and possibly were being falsely accused. Um, because the system doesn't seem to have us in their best interest all the time. It seems as if there's a, another eight ball that you're working behind as an African-American male where you're almost assume, presumed guilty uh, and you have to prove your innocence, which is not the way mm. in which it's supposed to work. Today, in 2017, you know, over the past few years, we've seen Ferguson and we've seen... Um, South Carolina and, and we've seen New York and we've seen men lose their lives. Black men lose their lives and they may not have been the most upright citizens, but that they deserve to lose their lives. Like, I think it's a, a poignancy and I think it's a poignancy that's being brought To the mainstream, because when you had the Rodney King beating in 1992, I think it occurred to a lot of people, it was like, well, that can't happen all the time. That was just a particular bad group of cops and this sort of thing, you know, is few and far between. And now you're having more and more ocular proof in in today, like right now. You're seeing, you know, little black girls being pulled by their hair and you're like, "Why? why is this child being treated so inhumanely? Um, that, you know, now I feel like it's it's reached a point where it can't be ignored anymore and people have to pay attention and hopefully there'll be some sort of shift. You know, I'm I'm waiting yeah. for it and I think black America's waiting for it and hoping for it and we'll just keep on keeping on until something changes.
1: Do you, do you feel like in some way... This, certainly this isn't the, why you got into acting, but with these performances, you know, having that heightened awareness of that situation in society, is it a heavier weight to bear when you're delivering those lines or scrutinizing those
2: scripts? Yes and no. So there are things that I, I've always been aware of as a black actor that I can't do in the same way as some of my white counterparts because of the way in which it might be perceived. And I give like the most innocuous one that I think of immediately... Is Ace Ventura Pet Detective? I think okay. Jim Carrey is absolutely amazing in Ace Ventura mm-hmm. Pet Detective. But if a black actor gave you the exact same performance, like note for note, People be like, why is this brother making an ass of himself? Right? It it mm. it just comes across in a very different way. And so I'm mm. I'm cognizant of that sort of thing as I take on roles and look at what I'm doing because not that I want every character that I play to be upstanding or whatnot, but I don't want them to be an embarrassment to black people, mm. right? Yeah. Like that is important to me i i want to yeah. play as wide a breadth of of people as i can saints and sinners alike but i don't want to embarrass nobody um yeah so that is something that i carry around in the back of my mind for sure
1: you know it's, it's interesting it sounds like uh, if i understand your bio correctly like you first got bit by the acting bug in was it in high school or early in college freshman year of high school yeah and so we don't have to date you, but I, I, I think I can say in confidence that was a couple decades ago. Sure. Uh, and can you know there was a different. You're talking about the system in a very serious manner when we're talking about you know police and 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 in this country, but also the Hollywood system. It seems to be slowly shifting and waking up. Can you talk about the difference in the landscape between when you were a, a 15-year-old, 16-year-old excited about acting yeah, and, and and what it was like to look at Hollywood as a young black actor then compared to now? Let
2: me go back even further, because this one is something that I talk about with my wife all the time, with the the great producer Norman Lear. And mm-hmm. when I was... Even younger, there was the Jeffersons and there was All in the Family and there was Good Times and there was Sanford Mm -hmm. and Son. And it seemed like there was this really ripe conversation that people were having openly about the nature of, of bigotry and being able to make fun of it because it was so ridiculous but still very real. Um, mm-hmm. and not, not just, you know, Archie Bunker, but also Fred G. St- Sanford from different sides of the coin. I remember thinking yeah. as a kid, like, man, I want to work on a, on a Norman Lear show. Like, this guy's talking about everything, like putting it all out there, right? And yeah. then it seems as if we moved into a very strong wave of political correctness, um, where things became, homogenized in such a way that, you know, it it gave um, way to colorblind casting, right? Which was good, but we weren't having conversations as meaningful as I think that Norman Lear was establishing then. So now we come to the present day and there's a really interesting landscape of black shows that are out there where it used to just be one or two, but now you have, you know, blackish. And you have Atlanta, and you have Queen Sugar, and uh, you have Underground, or, or you did <laughs> up until mm-hmm. just just recently. And and dare I even include This Is Us into that conversation as well, where you, we as a society are able to see and witness a non-monolithic presentation of African-American life in this country, that it is as varied as any other ethnicities experience is in this country as well. And so that gives me, you know, a sense of promise in that, you know, when people grow, we grow through exposure. And that either happens in real life experiences and sometimes hopefully, also through media, through art. And people are able to see all these different colors of Afro-Americana in this country and recognize the humanity in all of them. So to the point where when they come in contact with someone, they're able to recognize them as a human being first and foremost, and hopefully not with the sort of fear that has been associated with being black in this country for such a long period of time. That's what I, I yeah. take Joy in as, as Randall. Like he's a family man. And anybody who watches the show, you know, will recognize that he's a family man. And hopefully the next time that they come in contact with somebody outside that they may not have met before, but they can say, like, oh, this guy's a family man. I mean, I've I've had people cross the street when I've walked down the street. I've seen women clutch their purses, and I've tried to do things oh. to try to disarm people. There's a, a book that I read called Whistling Vivaldi, and it talked about um, one of the things that it talked about was how we, as black people in this country, have an added assignment and that other folks don't necessarily have, is we are responsible for putting other people at ease first before we can mm. get on to the business at hand. Um, And it's an unfortunate place to be because sometimes you're upset and you just want to be upset. But the way in which my upset may come across is very different than the way in which your upset may come across. So I have to like then sort of make sure like, hey, I'm upset, but I'm not that upset. Sure. Like listen to. Right.
1: I mean, we watched that with Obama for for eight years. Absolutely. Absolutely. The commentators he had to with he had to be within some very limited emotional. Range I mean it publicity. even gave
2: it even gave way to a Key and Peel skit. You know, like that's mm-hmm. exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. what what I'm talking yeah. about.
1: You know, I was thinking actually when you were we were talking about uh the, the episode where you where uh Randall's driving down with his father to Memphis. Yeah. And at one point they got into the car, which is like a $125,000 Mercedes. 143. Uh, 100, sorry, 143. Yeah. Good memory. <laughs> uh, and I was just like, oh, fuck. They're, sorry, I shouldn't... <laughs> I was just like, they're going to get pulled over. Right. Because they're black men driving in an expensive car in the South. Right. But it's interesting because on the one hand, that could have been a teachable moment for, you know, this audience of a popular NBC show, uh, you know, a lesson in, in racial profiling. Right. Or, but on the other hand, what you're saying is having... That not be what happened and having that story just be about the love between a man and his father is in its own way a teachable moment but bottom line there's still a lot of work to do
2: but i tell you what man the fact that you had that thought Mm. thanks buddy I appreciate you looking out for a couple of brothers on the road because bro- <laughs> brothers need to be looked out for, for sure. Yeah. Yes, sir. I appreciate yeah. the thought.
1: Well, unfortunately, you know, it is very much a part of a reality. As it is indeed. You mentioned. Yeah. Um, all right, well, I'm going to pivot to our two standard questions because I, I knew I have to uh, leave soon. Give it to me. Um, these are questions we ask our guests, each of our guests on the show, and the first one is, what question are you tired of being asked in interviews? You've done a
2: lot of this now. <laughs> <laughs> um... Let's see. Am I tired of it? How Jack <laughs> died. Um, uh, not super tired of it because I get that people want to know, and yeah. and we purposefully, you know, have sort of led people to have their interest peaked in a way that I didn't necessarily know was going to happen at the beginning of the show. Um, yeah. But I will say that you know they'll find out this year. Um, and they'll, the puzzle pieces will sort of be laid out slowly over the course of the season. But they'll get all yeah. of the answers to that question this year. So hopefully, you know, I won't get asked it too much more all once right. the show gets started.
1: And and Jack, for people who don't know, is Randall's father. He's that my adopted him. father. Yes, correct. His adopted father. But the way the show is, is plays around with time is a consistent character in the show because yes. you're watching him at different stages in his life. Um, and I can imagine it is like, I there, you know, there's a lot of moments in this show, which part of the pleasure is you, fr- you first think it's one thing and then you keeps it keeps opening it up into something else. Right. Uh, and so it's like, yeah, why, why don't ask that question? Be patient. Thank you. <laughs> and tr- trust these writers. Namaste. Um, so I'm glad I didn't ask that. Uh, <laughs> our, our second question is more of a request, which is, uh, tell us something we don't know. And this can either be a personal fact about you that you haven't shared in interviews before or... Just kind of an interesting fact about the world. Something that would, um, you know.
2: <sighs> okay. Tell you something that you don't know. This is good. Okay. I don't know if you know this or not. This, this may be out mm-hmm. there. I'm not sure. But so my wife and I were mm-hmm. born in the same hospital. Oh. We were born the same year. We have our social security numbers are only three digits apart. Um, <laughs> I didn't know. Wouldn't
1: be wouldn't it be weird if I did know that?
2: That would be really uh-huh. <laughs> interesting. Uh, but are three digits apart. But we didn't meet yeah. for the first time until our freshman year of college, where we lived in the same dorm together, and then in Stanford at right? Stanford at University, yeah. and then yeah. we went to grad school together at NYU. We signed with the same agency directly after school, and then we did our first on camera job together, um, which was an under five. On the guiding light, um, and we had to wow. play a couple in Lamar's class, um, and she was, you know, you know, had to put on the pregnancy suit, and whatnot, and I was. Helping and were her you together class. at this point? And no. here's the interesting in the- fact: we were not together, and not only were we not together, I detested her presence with such vehemency. We we were in a bad place, right? And we wow. get this What was I mean, can I ask what that was about? Or? Dude we we just had such history. It it had been yeah. back and forth and back and forth and young like people you again? trying to figure out like what love is and what they can put up with and what they can't put up with, you know. And yeah. and 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 part of the story is like after we graduated from school, we didn't talk to each other for about three and a half years. Before we finally got back together for good, right? Um, but yeah, I had to do this thing where I was giving her like Lamas and she was sitting in between my legs and I was telling her to breathe and everything. <laughs> and, and she would look at me and I would be so annoyed that I didn't even wanna <laughs> look her in the eye. And she would mess with me because she knew I just did not wanna be there. Um, and now we've been this married. Is worthy. Yeah. yeah, this is worthy of its own t- This is th- That <laughs> backstory is worthy of a This Is Us kind
1: of subject. Right, totally. Fact, to, to try to piece it together. Like, why are they married? Why do they have kids now? But back then, they're pretending to be pregnant. Um. That's good. Well, I I will say just in having this conversation with you and I I interview a fair amount of people. Like you I mean, I I it's presumptuous, but it's like you clearly love her. You keep you keep referencing conversations you have with her. Yeah. Uh it sounds like you guys have a uh, a really uh solid and, and and true thing. So it was maybe it was worth that kind it of It was um, most certainly that, worth that it. Yeah. Journey.
2: As as uh, young Shakespeare would say, the course of true love never did run smooth, but we're, we're, we're doing really, really well right now. we got two beautiful children. We've got 11 years invested into a wonderful marriage. And uh, I think she's my ride or die. I'm a keeper. <laughs>
1: and, and if you're wondering how Sterling finally uh, you know ended up with his wife, he quotes Shakespeare at will. So There's <laughs> a tip for you. Be, be dashing, be a good actor, and be able to quote Shakespeare. There you go. Uh, Sterling, thank you so much for coming by on our show. Thanks for coming having by me, our brother. show. Appreciate it. Sterling K. Brown, the new season of his show, This Is Us, begins tonight. He also stars in the movie Marshall, coming out October 13th. Enrico, you know who the last actor
0: was who quoted Shakespeare on our show, right? Yes, that would be the late, great Harry Dean Stanton. Who passed away last week, I think it was, yes? Rest in peace, yes. Indeed. He closed the Tempest.
1: And listeners, you can find that interview at our website, org.
0: It's actually one of my favorite interviews Brendan ever did. So, and it pains oh. me to say that, because I wanted to do that interview. It's very kind of you to say. You're welcome. By the way, actors really seem to like Shakespeare for some reason. Have you noticed? Right? Mm. Yeah. Why? Yeah. That is the question. <laughs> I thought the question was something different. But, okay, that concludes this installment of Dinner for One, ladies and gentlemen. We will be posting a full episode of the Dinner Party Download this Friday with all the fix-ins, including, among other things, etiquette with country music superstar Shania Twain. And my chat with the team behind the new movie, Battle of the Sexes.
1: All right. Till then, follow us on Instagram or Twitter, where our handle is DinnerPartyDNLD. And now we want you to know our show's senior producer is Jackson Musker. Our associate producers are James Kim and Krista Ripple. Christina Lopez is our associate digital producer. Our intern is Emerald Douglas. Drew Jostad, Engineered. See you Friday. Bon appétit. And let's away to part the glories of this happy day.
0: Wow. Public (laughs) (laughs) radio-y.